So you're having one before the gym. Dude, I, yeah, well, at least one. I figured, like, dude, I don't like working out after I drink. You know, I feel like when I, as soon as I have a dram, it's like, yeah. it's that, that chip is sale for the day. I you get know? it. I can respect that. It's it's almost like wasting your drink because like the the fastest way yeah. to sober up is to is to breathe just because yeah. that because that expiration. I don't know, but the amount of times like I've gotten drunk and just like danced my ass off and like oh, I know it's like going to the gym. Exactly, dude. I'm like sweating out there, whatever, man. Like so, I, but it's also not the same as like doing a max squat. You know, it's not the same exertion. Depends so, on depends on how how deep into um uh, what's that movie uh. Uh, dirty dancing. Oh, dirty dancing with the movie lifts lifts her over his head. I, listen, man. Hey, nobody puts baby in a quarter. Okay, nobody puts baby mm. in a quarter. So, did you know that over five trillion dollars exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over two hundred and twenty billion dollars an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics. Two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. And welcome back to yet another episode, yet another presentation of Drunkenomics. This is the drinking podcast with an economics problem. So glad you all can join us. In case you are wondering, as I make the introduction of myself and of my less gracious co-host, the VIX, the Volatility Index, the 30-Day Volatility Index to be more specific, closed at 1599 today. Today's Tuesday, August 8th. So because of that, because it's sub-16 and actually really at the end of the day because it's sub-23, I would like to welcome us all back as the more gracious host. My name is Aaron Wong and I'm joined alongside my good friend and drinking buddy. And less gracious host. What was the name? James Goldwater. (laughs) That's what it is. How you doing, man? What do you what do you got on that cup of yours? Ah, it's red. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm drinking a um, of cranberry juice. A, fi- a fine cup of uh, of red wine. No, um, no, I had a I had a few whiskeys, and I went. I should slow down. I'll just go for more volume. My man. Point. So I went with wine. Good man, dude. Well, I'm on I'm on the whiskey grind right now, and I know I'm supposed. To, I don't know if you heard in the intro earlier, but I'm supposed to go to the gym later. At least I need to. I've been skipping too many days, so I'm trying to not. Go too crazy, but for the integrity of what is drunkenomics, I gotta have at least two. Well, at least two. So uh, here we are. So glad you all can join us. Before we continue any further, I must say that anything you hear from us is not considered financial advice. The thoughts and views that we express on this presentation, this podcast, do not reflect the thoughts and views of our employers. This is not financial advice, market outlook information or anything like that. Uh, This is just our opinions and our thoughts and views only if they happen to match the thoughts and views of our employers. That is entirely coincidental, as I'm sure you've heard before. So wanted to keep that disclaimer up front just so uh, we don't like any transparency there. As well as all our information, everything we're basing our opinions on and our our oh, we're discussing it's all public information it is available somewhere very publicly and yep. if you if you need to know what our source was absolutely ask us and there's a great place to ask us yes um, there is and, uh, it's, it is social media and uh pros and cons don't x yep. us out uh where we uh-huh. are at drunkenomical d-r-u-n-k-e-n-o-m-i-c-a-l um <laughs> the, i'm sorry the artist formerly known as twitter artist before elon runs it into currently the ground known as i think he's gonna <laughs> And then obviously on that, on more stable platforms, you can find us, um, Facebook, Instagram, threads, 
Threads. Yes. Oh, uh, glad you mentioned that. I mean, we can go into LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. Whatever. All of it. So D R U N K E N O M I C A L. Economical. Yep. Well, from there, from all of our Instagram social media pages, whatever. I don't know why I threw Instagram in there first, but from our social media pages, you can find the link to our Discord. Uh, the conversation is a little bit more lively in Discord. Lots of good channels in there. Uh, some nuts, financial advice, memes, general questions for the host. Speaking of questions for the host, I meant to answer some of these questions last week. And I did um, answer some of these questions yeah. last week, or at least to, uh, on the Discord. So, yeah, exactly. But I, I think you know, some of these things out loud, I mean, it does go into some pretty cool economic principles. And you know, it's also a good moment for us to kind of pay homage, or um, if you're in, uh, in England, homage. Uh, to some of our favorite economists and political political scientists, know, political philosophers, political yeah. scientists, whatever it is. So yeah, I mean Chris Schauzel from a while ago. It's like two, three weeks ago. Uh, you asked a, yeah, or I guess you didn't ask a question, but you kind of like responded to something we said about property taxes and mm-hmm. and inheritance taxes. Basically, if we're not making use of the land, if we're not making economic use of th- this this piece of land, and especially if you can't afford to pay the taxes on it, you know maybe some consequences might not be unnecessary. Yeah. That- no, no, it's, it's, it's a nuanced question and it's, it's not an unreasonable question, but it's, it's because we, we made a comment or at least I made a comment on the premise of estate taxes and property taxes is to break up estates. It's, it's meant yeah. to compel real property land to be, um, to be used for economic benefit. And if it isn't yeah. being used for economic benefit that can afford its continued ownership then that land needs to be sold off. So I freeze land up to new buyers. Yeah. And yeah, no, he, he asked a question. He premised it with some things, with some really fun things. I assume, I assume he, um, the premise that property taxes needed to incentivize people to use their land. And he's absolutely right in that we gave examples of farming, ranching, fishing strip malls, uh, things of that nature. And he brings in then the question of like, well, what about the house? Like, it's just your house. Um, you're not using that for economic advantage. Of course, or um, just living there. Yeah. yeah, and so my response is: so the house as a, and I think this is how I responded, and I could actually go. Well, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to answer now. Maybe it'll be totally different. I, I hope <laughs> not. But I think what it says: the house as a as a non-exclusive, just as as just a residence, as not a as not also an economic property, is a relatively recent and rare fashion. It's a relatively new thing. Um, historically, if you owned a shop on the ground floor, you lived above it, right? So it was property right. that you would live and work in the same way that a farmer lives and works at the farm. Yeah. Chris premises that either property tax shouldn't exist at all, a valid argument, or it should only exist on land that is big enough to, there's a question of, well, you're not living on it, or you're not just yeah. living on it. And my response is actually, that's, I think what I actually said was that's a, it's a, you've nailed it right there on the head is that that's actually a perfect response is that it either, it either needs to be this or it needs to be this. and the government's decided that the land needs yeah. to be it, it's all land it's not there's no such thing as big enough in the same yeah. way there's no such thing as religion it's just everything's going to get taxed and then yeah well i mean that, that's kind theory, of where things get really granular too it's just like yeah okay so first of Absolutely. all yeah like first of all like i'm not a huge fan of an inheritance tax but there is a point where i'm like okay hold on like you're gonna own pretty much like three-fifths of an entire state like why can't like if we needed to build a pipeline through a piece of your property and you want to stonewall us you can but like we need this pipeline to be finished to get plumbing to this mall that's being built or this entertainment district that's being built here whatever it is right like yeah so that's so that's actually there's a 
I, I actually love that specific, that very specific um, premise. And it's because I'm a, um, it may fi- you may find this strange in that I'm, I'm, I'm quite liberal in, in what I think is in the common good. But I, sure. but I also think that in, in the context of what you're describing, i.e. we need to run piping or we need to get an easement for a road or we need it for water runoff. Yeah, in or those just to cases, build like I'm cell a, towers, you know, or electricity. Like you got to run it all that oh, shit. Oh, electricity like, specifically. Uh, electricity and cell towers, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. I'll give you those two. And I'll say that I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of those. I think they are for the common good. And mm-hmm. therefore, the government has this amazing power of eminent domain, which is when the government can, say, can compel a sale and say, you will sell this to this to to for this purpose that serves the common good right. roads sanitation plumbing a cell phone tower specifically and that's yeah. and that's where, and that's where i love eminent domain because it is yeah. it is in if it's in the benefit the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one having yeah. said that at the same time when a land developer is going i want you to eminent domain this land so that i can build houses on it you know, on the one hand, I, I do understand where you might, one might argue like, yeah, it's, there is for, a it's for the common element, good that we, yeah. we have more housing. But on the other hand, I agree with the property owner because a house specifically, especially when the developer is going to turn around and sell it for a huge, for a monstrous profit. Yeah. My response is no, that's not, that's not what I consider to be the common good and the very obvious common good, which is to yeah. say plumbing. Well, water runoff yeah and it is kind of like, towers. like i don't know if you've ever seen better call Saul, but there's like a there's a kind mm-hmm. of a segment similar to that where you know this bank is trying to build a call center and this guy mm-hmm. has a house there that just doesn't want to move right like and this is a private entity versus another private entity where it's not like the government like to me the government going in there saying hey you've got to sell you know this portion of your land that you're not really using i'm like yeah i part of me like that that just feels really wrong to, to have I agree to, to give the government ability to do something like that but on the flip side of the coin too I also I'm trying to be perceptual and think like okay if they're not using this land and, and a land developer does want to build more houses there and that does you know in many cases serve the common good you know lowering housing it, prices it, providing more housing yeah yeah you know boosting manufacturing whatever creating jobs even contracts in, broke, whatever it is right in theory you know there is a common good element with with that respect too so if the government says hey like we we need this land to to do this. Like this is in such a good location, whatever it is. Like, and you're not doing anything with it. You're not even hunting on it. You're not even fishing on it, whatever it is. You're not you're not farming on it. Like, all right, well, you know, what, what else are you gonna do with that land? But I, yeah, but it's just like that. But I'm gonna, well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna own it. Yeah, and and if I can afford the property taxes to own this land, it should be inviolable. Yeah, and that, and exactly. that's my view. But so my thing is like if if the and government that's also my view. Yeah, if the government uses eminent domain to seize land. It cannot then sell it to it. In my view, it should not, and therefore, it should be illegal for them to sell onto a developer and be like, "Oh, we, right. we bought this for you so you could make your development exist." And I'm like, "No, you're not an extra. You're not an enforcement arm of that of that firm. The firm didn't offer enough money. There's a dollar amount eventually that will work. Yeah. It may make the the development economically unviable, but um, you know what? Yeah, but it." <laughs> Yeah, and Fuck then off, it's my land. Yeah, and then like you know, of course, like there's the other aspect too, you know, which is the the inheritance tax portion. You know, someone has passed mm-hmm. on, and they want to divvy this land up to you know their six heirs or whatever it is. It's like, yeah, okay, I have nothing against that personally. Well, and, um, and, and here, here's the crazy thing in the U.S. right now is that people are like, oh, well, they're just trying to take away the small family farm, and I'm like, wow, because the inheritance, like the inheritance estate tax, 
it only applies on estates over, I think it's over twelve and a half million dollars. Oh, so yeah. it's, I thought it was five million, but okay, yeah. Nope. Yeah. Well, it's I think it's I think it's like I think it's about seven million per per six and a half per person was about the last. Oh, okay. That. So it's it's over it's over twelve million dollars at this point. And so my and and you know, even with inflation, my response is you're doing fine. You can pay, or you could split off some land and sell it. You'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah, like I said, um, there is a sour feeling in the sense that like the, like you're being compelled to part ways with a portion. Mm-hmm. Like at least the family is being compelled. You know, in this case, well, with the inheritance tax. The other option is if if you've watched Downton Abbey, the other option is you can take a mortgage against the land in question to pay the tax, and then you yeah. pay off the mortgage. Yeah, uh, you know, if you want to go through that financing rabbit hole, sure. Um, well, and, like, if if you if you don't want to sell the land and you don't have the economic wherewithal to, if you don't currently have the cash to on pay, hand, yeah, for sure. That's that's one which, way you can do which, it. Which and, and you know, and if you're using the land, if you're if you're saying like, well, if I lose those ten acres, or if I lose those hundred acres, that's a loss of eighty thousand dollars a year in perpetuity to me. Assuming that you're farming, well, then, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, assuming you're making some sort of economic use of the well, land. But in that, but in that case, okay, if you are like that that portion of land, if you are making eighty grand on that portion of land a year in perpetuity, whatever it is, then the financing options aren't going to be tough to come by, anyways. No, so, they'd absolutely be like, open to you, and you should absolutely exercise them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so, so so long as so, obviously that land isn't short of some very strange accounting options where you're like, oh yeah, well this land costs it, it gets me eighty grand, but it costs me eighty five grand, but right. these other properties make me three hundred grand each, and because of the eighty five grand here, it's really good and clear over here. Like it's yeah. absorbing all the losses from a different property. Which is the thing we talk about in managerial accounting, but that's yeah, and that's honestly like, what we're talking about. Yeah, like, and that's the thing too. Like, if you, if you, if this inheritance tax it compels a family to take on a loan to pay the tax burden or whatever it is, like, I'm not totally against that either. Like, you know, like you should certainly take advantage of certain financial resources that uh, that you have that you're privileged to. Yeah. Uh, now I now I absolutely I absolutely agree that there should be options, positions, and. Yeah, obviously, I sit here and I and I say this in a black and white stance because I because it's how it's how I think. But I also realize that I'm, there's a lot of gray yeah, where it's like, well, sure. um, you know, the property owner he suddenly died, and his son, his oldest child who wants to take over the farm is 14 and isn't able to take over. And so it's there's this question of like, is this now a viable entity? And my yeah. response is that I think that it needs to be taken on a case by case basis. And I yeah. think one needs to sit here and go like, well, if it's their intention to make this continue this farm as a going concern, we're well, going to have to make some allowances because to do otherwise is not right. Yeah, well, and that's exactly it be how be illegal, you, but it's not right. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly how we end up having tax codes that are 5,000 pages long. And it's like we have this one rule. And Five, then we have all that's these- a short tax code. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I under exaggerated. Which is believe Shit, it or the tax, not a thing. The tax code's taller than I am, and I'm six two. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, so, like, you, you have this <laughs> and, one and, thing, and it, like, it's and like it's hard to read print. <laughs> yeah. By the by, yeah, exactly. You know, you got to have your readers on to to be able to actually glance at that. But yeah, I mean, like, you know, you have this one rule, and it's like, okay, this is the inheritance tax code. Oh, by the way, there's all these different conditions here, and mm-hmm. some poor schmuck has to decipher all those things and think, okay, all right, so if this person dies at age fifty five. You know, so that's before retirement age, technically, in the U.S. And yep, uh, they have you know a twenty million dollar farm. Their oldest heir is whatever, and they have to go through all the different tax codes, the different allowances to be like, okay, what's the best situation for this family? And that sucks. Like going, 
Like tax code is very, very complicated, but it, it sometimes in these instances, it kind of has to be, you know, like we can't just treat, you know, not all, not all farms the same. And I, and I, yeah. and I say that knowing that with my, I said, that's his family's that family with the family farm. Yeah. Like I, I know that, like, I, I know yeah. that that's 120 acres of very good farmland that, you know, it's like, could it be, is it economically um, viable? Can it be a profitable establishment? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, do I have any idea how to make that happen? Absolutely not. Yeah. I know how to drive some tractors really well. I know you do. I will say that. You know, multi-talented. I'm, That's okay. the thing, man. And uh, you know, like and like I said, inheritance tax. You know, I'm not totally mm-hmm. against it, but like, I don't like the dollar amount. I, I don't. I don't like the threshold at 12 million. I think it needs to be a lot higher. But then again, well, you know, you know, it's not. It's not terrible at 12. Well, how million, how many so. how many estates do you personally know of? And uh, you know. I'm from I'm from a, a wealthy area like I, where I grew up when I went to high school like well but I'm saying I don't where, know I, I don't know how many I, estates I, do you know of that are going to exceed that twelve million and my thing is at this point I'm like I well but know, yeah I don't know of many I know and I, so I, I, understand, I understand that but I, I still think you know in a lot of these farm communities if you get one appraiser that appraises it just like absurdly oh, yeah. it's like okay well well that's you know what I mean so that's so that's yeah that's different and that's why and that's why I've actually kind of strongly encouraged um, I say strongly encouraged. I have privately in consultation suggested that um, they LLC the land and then um, transaction it through share sales versus yeah I mean that, uh, versus an exchange at death. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, but and it's, I'm saying like during the lifetime of the actual land, would that be more advantageous from a tax perspective too, or would that just be? Well, it becomes like, advantageous. At least from my perspective, it becomes advantageous towards an end of life perspective. So obviously when someone's sitting here going, I own, I own this farm and I want to transfer it to my children or I want to transfer it to my interested children. It might be in the interest of, especially if you have like, you've, you've multiple children and you have one that want that that's essentially saying like, I want to take the land over. I want to take over the farm um versus other kids who are like i i have no interest in the farm and so like this one point where it's like those same kids might be like well i'll sell you my part of the farm for blank but it's like well why you inherited it out of nowhere uh well not out of nowhere out of the death of whoever owned it but you might argue that prior to that if the farm were to have shares and were to have um found itself in a corporate sector that the parent could sell share by share, percent by percent to the child that wants to take over for cash. Essentially, the, the kid's going like, hey, um, I want to buy 5% of the farm for blank amount of cash right now. And the parent going, yes. And over time, and then, buying the property. Yeah. And, or having like some sort of embedded it, contract, like an options contract that secures the, the cost basis of, of the transaction. But well, absolutely. It's, 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 you know. it, prevents, it prevents that the concerns of probate, it presents concerns of a, um, of a will being in a strange spot. Yeah. It, it also protects someone who's, who's willing to work, but also to acquire the property yeah. for people that aren't necessarily involved. Yeah. So, I mean, long story short, you know, kind of got maybe two into the weeds of this, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. like, it's it's a tough concept, a you know, and like I'm not a tax expert, I'm not a uh, I'm not a political scientist, so I don't really know what the answer is on this, but I do think, you know, just just a, a high level from my perspective, like uh, you know, I'm I'm more against the government being able to compel someone to sell their land, but at the same time, there is a there is a point where I'm like, okay, 
in terms of benefiting everybody, as you said, like earlier, like it's yeah, this land is just not in your in your stead. It's just not it's not servicing anybody, and it, as a matter of fact, it, it might even be infringing on some people. So maybe something should happen, whether that's through an inheritance tax or whether it's through you know eminent domain or whatever it is. I think I, I think actually Aaron and I are on the same page on this one. I think we are. I think we can yeah. sum it up with a very with a very simple thing. It's um, if the government can compel you compel you to sell your land it must be for the common good and that if the government compels you to sell your land to then benefit a private owner after the fact that is wrong and should be criminal exactly yeah now Um, where we define common good that's a little bit different but we don't need to get into that so well but well the common good um well, we say the common good, uh, it does not benefit a private landholder immediately after. So right. the government does not seize land to then sell to a private landholder. Exactly. The government seizes yeah. land to lease to a public entity or perhaps even lease to a public landholder, but lease as mm-hmm. a fine, you can build your cell tower here. Right. Yeah. Some, fine. Some you can that, build like, your yeah. highway. We can build as the public the highway. Yeah, exactly. Um, so people can get around that's a where better. we are. People have more connectivity to, to do work. Do Zoom calls, but that was a fun question. It was. It was a great. I really enjoyed it, and we we talked about it before. And I don't get tired of talking about it because it's actually pretty fun. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's a a great question because I think every time we 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 kind of come down on the same perspective. We do, but then but like with slightly different nuance, where it's like, well, yeah, you're right. That's that's definitely new gray area. That's a really good perspective. (laughs) Yeah. So, but yeah, like seriously, man, appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, And slash or logic gates. That's the Discord name of uh, of one of our econoholics that chimed in. We had just kind of like a follow up to the Starbucks question. Did we answer your questions? Like, I I just want to make sure that like you got. Yeah. Yeah. I think we did. Okay. I hope we did. Yeah. Well, if not, just let us know. Uh, we'd be more than happy to pine a little bit further. But without further ado, I do want to. Wait, you want to? Do you want to raise a glass? Or no, I get the I, I get to pour one out to that lovely, lovely business. Oh, okay. Wait. So, am I raising a glass, or are you raising a glass? All right. If you want to pour one out, you're raising a glass. Pour right? one out. I'm gonna raise a glass. So I'm gonna raise a glass to. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I have to pour a glass first. Yes. It's too much vodka. For sure. For sure. Oh no. What a problem. Um, I'll raise a glass. I will raise a glass to all the um, wheat and grain farmers. What? And, Why? And all their um, commodities traders who are doing exceptionally well with, oh, with uh, because, I think, wheat uh, reaching 206 a bushel. Wow. Obviously, with things not going particularly well in Ukraine and Russia, because the, uh, the Ukrainians have now started to sink Russian ships or at least cause them to be towed back into port. Wow. Yeah, no. Food, um, has been, food has been weaponized in the Black Sea, and it's not good for... Well, Africa in general and people without money. Well, Africa specifically and people without money in general. Yeah. To the traders. There we go. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, I did not know that that was happening. Did you see that text that I sent you about uh, the U.S. suspending funding to, to Niger or to Niger? That was? Yes. To Niger. Uh, yeah. The U.S. has spent $100 million in, um, in, in funding. In, was it World Bank funding? World Bank loans are selling to, um, to Niger. At the same time, immediately after, about two weeks after, um, a week after, two weeks after a coup, a week after the West African, it's not West African National Bank, because that's, that's what it's called, but, but there's a, um, a banking group there that has also suspended all bond transactions for Niger. It's yeah. weird. It's almost like having a coup in your country isn't good for your economy. You would think, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to explain that to people. I don't know how to explain that to people. Oh, either, yeah, having a coup know. in your country isn't good for 
Having instability, especially political instability, is bad yeah. for business. I don't think that's, that's, there uh, needs easy, to be an explanation, easy. but uh, whatever. Uh, anyways, great, great cheers, man. Um, great raise of glass. I got a and f- it couple, gets worse. Yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of want to raise a glass to Pantera real quick because you know they're now joining Metallica on their tour or their M72 tour, and I've seen videos of Pantera. Freaking what a like! I know there's two key members of the band that aren't alive anymore, but what a sound, man! They still like, oof. dude. I'm still. First like, off, I'm I'm still so envious that you get Metallica next month. Yeah, it's literally one month. So, but I'm really excited when we get Metallica Seattle. I'm definitely yeah. going to that. Yeah, dude. I, I think, think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. We're gonna go to Seattle. We're gonna go to Metallica in Chicago two or three months before is, that. Is Pantera playing in that? Too? Like I know Pantera and Five Finger Death Punch are playing, I think, at the show that I'm going to. Uh, and, I, and there's some other ones too, but like, it, I mean, it's still, it's still the same lead singer. It's still Phil Anselmo or whatever his name is. Like, yeah. I, personally, like Pantera, I know Pantera because of Daryl Dimebag. He's the f- legendary guitarist. Amazing. And Vinnie Paul, amazing drummer too. Um, I don't know who replaced both those guys. Odds are probably not as good, but still, you know, respectable, obviously. They sounded so good, so that's why I just want to raise a glass quick. Yeah, and obviously, like I'm, a, I love Pantera, Cowboys from Hell, Vulgar Power, but amazing albums, amazing, amazing records. I think they're just playing. I think they're just playing Phoenix. Really? Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Okay, well that sucks. No, it's so, good for you. I know. Well, it's, <laughs> oh, they're not. Pantera isn't playing in. Oh, dude. Okay, so oh, they are playing in Seattle. Pantera's playing in Seattle. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, and I, with yeah, so, yeah so if we were already in, which we were. Oh, sick. Okay, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, Five Finger Death Punch and Pantera both opened different nights for the Metallica show. All right, guys. So, next year, so 2024 in August, the uh, the Drunkonomics Metallica tour in Seattle will commence. Yes, it will. August 31st and September 1st. That's the day. I know. Pantera, August 31st, September 1st. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Speaking of which, coming up. Anyways, pouring out, uh, (laughs) you know, just to keep it rolling. Bill Ackman shorted a 30-year treasury. I don't know which one to pour it out to. Do I pour it out to Bill Ackman or do I pour it out to 30-year treasury? I pour it out to a trillion dollars in U.S. credit card debt. <laughs> that's, oh, see, that's also For really a good one, too. For the first time in history. Yeah, that's actually a really good one, too. But, okay, that's so what I'd pour out to. Well, but this is the thing, too, about the, the, the whole 30-year treasury. And this happened yesterday, I think. That This is when the news broke of Bill Ackman shorting this. Obviously, big news from the week before. Fitch downgraded long-term U.S. treasuries. Um, yeah. To still very, uh, like, to still investment grade. I mean, it's not like a huge downgrade. But I think one of the things that this did, you know, like it does raise yield to the back end of the curve, obviously, because it, it brings down the value, raises yield. So it does kind of bring the structure of the yield curve back to closer to our normalcy. But then again, like it's still insanely inverted between the twos and the tens. Well, yeah, but that's... Yeah. And we still have our bet going, right? The tens, you know, by the way, speaking of which... Yeah. Uh, still, still sitting on that four, on that on still, that four percent yield. Still above four, right? Uh, I, I I don't know if it's dropped down below three, but it hasn't closed or that dropped down below four. It hasn't closed below four. So you know you're you're on you're on track, man. You're on track, but we'll see what happens. So I, you know, we'll see. We got we got three weeks and a few days. Exactly. So uh, pouring out to both Bill Ackman and the Thirty Year Treasury. I don't know who wins in this one because it's like no one. Yeah, <laughs> maybe Bill. Yeah, you might have a good risk analyst department. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, so what do you do? Like, do you have swaps for your uh, for your coupon payments? Like, like what do you do? I don't know. Right, I have no idea what you do. Like, something has to happen with those coupon payments that, that are going out. So, like, do you create swap agreements and for how long? But whatever. Like, you know, I don't really know that much about swaps to talk at length about it. But it's just it's pretty interesting. And then of course, uh, yeah, dude, credit card debt. 
numbers came in. What, what was that? Uh, I'm trying to pull. I'm trying to find that article again. I had it right One here. One like, trillion dollars. Yeah, Q2. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> Endless credit card debt. You get credit card debt. You get credit card debt. I know. Yeah, dude, everybody gets it, man. Q2 numbers came in. Above $1 trillion for the first time, credit card balances have jumped. And I think it's just U.S. In the U.S. alone yeah, for the first U- time in history, yep. right? Exactly, dude. So speaking of which, it's reaching a trillion bucks at a time where interest rates are at 15-year highs. So actually, maybe even longer. How long? I, I don't know when it was, but whatever. Like, I mean, interest rates are historically very high, especially for like this generation. 20, so, 20 yeah. years. They have been the same 20. 20 years. There we go. And so that's the number. Yeah. No. Interest. Uh, yeah. Credit card debt reaching an all time high at the same time as interest rates are reaching a 20, actually a 22 year high. Yeah. What could possibly go left? Wrong. wrong. Left? Wrong? What? I don't know. Hello? Either, either way. Um, Sting, yeah. come help me. Sting. Have the police play. It'll, it'll sort things out. Yeah, dude. Everyone's like, dude, the police are here, and I'm trying to put away all my drugs and my illegal firearms, and then all of a sudden I open the door. And, and then it's Sting, Sting kicks in it's the door, and you're like, Sting! This is Sting and Stuart Copeland. You're like, oh, what's up, guys? Come on in. Let's. You, Sting you said Stuart it was Copeland. the cops. You didn't say it was the police. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bitch. No. Wrapped around my it, no, yeah, Sorry. no, absolutely. I love that song, though. No, I know, but it, yeah. I agree. But it's just, no, it's just, it's very bad. It's very bad that, that uh, credit card debt is reaching an all time high at the same time as a generation is experiencing its highest interest rates. I know. Which, like, I mean, we talked about, like, last week, remember, like, earnings, earnings season, very strong. Pre- yeah. I mean, not very strong, but, like, stronger than expected. Insanely Strongly resilient. Expected. Yeah, very resilient. Des- despite all evidence that should suggest the contrary, which... Exactly. So, it's know. like, so which we'll get into more later on, you know. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, to your point, PMI down, uh, other things also down. But, yeah, like, we're seeing these... It's like we're seeing sentiment come in. It's like, okay, well, I think we know why expectations came in or, or I, we, we know why earnings came in better than expected or at least met expectations and a lot of it was just driven by this this credit card debt this is really where the resiliency done, yeah. of uh yeah the resilience of the consumers have really um have really come from you know non-far payrolls we also saw for the month of july down lower than expected well, I mean, up but but not as much as expected. oh yeah sorry yeah it's up above it's up but below expect so estimate yeah, was increasing 000. but below expectations sorry yeah my bad right, so it's not it's, a, it's not a loss it is a gain yeah added one hundred eighty-seven thousand, but expected for the month of july was two hundred thousand jobs uh nine yeah. payrolls so, so off by 13 my used to be lucky number <laughs> yeah thousand. So, yeah so we saw that and then of course you know like hourly earnings aren't going up at you at know, the, the pace of rate they were the last two years yeah, yeah. no it's and um it's certainly different um yeah. that being that being said what i will say is comparatively and i actually think this is this has always been the case and we're starting to see a very interesting uh dynamic, macroeconomic development in this front is that um the u.s yeah. is starting to an extent bring certain manufacturing back specifically with microchips and with um semiconductors yeah but i mean I often wonder what the U.S. consumer is thinking and or buying ahead of time uh, yeah. with uh, with Chinese exports yeah. doing what they did, which is to I say, so um, speaking of which, that, that, that wily coyote like into the ground. Yeah. So speaking of which, what we were saying earlier when we were talking about 
the consumer resiliency, which is in the midst of a lot of not that promising data. Um, we got some of the least promising data you could possibly get, yeah. actually, from China, yeah. from Beijing, from Beijing, from Beijing. Here's the here's the worst part: is it's from Beijing, so it's yeah. sanitized, exactly, it's clean, exactly. It's fudged with, you know. So this is the number they were willing to say. It's very impressive. It's it, in the in the same way that when Russia is talking about like, oh, we've only lost <laughs> sixteen or sixty. I couldn't hear you. Yeah, I know. Well, I said Excuse what I me. said. No. Oh, you missed uh, so it. The Sorry, Russians I don't know for the questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, and the Russians have lost. No, we're not, to, we're not doing that yet. Yeah. Um, but China, China was willing to admit, Beijing was willing to admit that, what, uh, what was it, 12.5%? 14.5%. 14.5%. Which was loss year punch. over year in exports. Well, and that's, to be down 14.5%, that's huge. That's I mean, massive. Especially, especially when, like the market was like 12 and a half. Yeah, that's what they were expecting. Exceeded that which boy. It, which also is like, like the market was expecting something from China in terms of like mm -hmm. how, how the US was, was going to react to the, you know, the Russian-Ukraine war. Oh, yeah. This, this diplomacy behind Taiwan and the Belt and Road and whatever it is, right? Like the, the West, for the most part, they, you know, the reluctancy to do business with China was certainly growing and gaining momentum. Well, China hasn't done anything to convince the West that business there is worthwhile. Yeah. And I mean, they have a lot of issues, which like, you know, like, listen, oh, yeah, listen to like a geopol listen to like a geopolitics or a geopolitical expert talk about China. They're like, man, a lot of things not good there. No matter what they say, they're not like they're not in good shape with it. You know, demographic issues, workforce participation. No, absolutely not. For, like, there's just not that much appeal to China anymore. I could, I could spend less money and get better results out of Vietnam, Indonesia, in or Indonesia, India. India, yeah, exactly. So with that, and the, and they're closer friends. Exactly, they're not they, open they actually, enemies. Yeah, they like the West a little bit better. So with all that, in the month of July, there was an expectation of a twelve point four percent decline in exports and imports. I guess. Um, no, 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 just or, exports. Or, or just, or the, the decline was exports, yeah. But, um, no, the imports was too. Like, well, they both it's, declined, it's, but I'm saying, I'm saying the 12.4% forecast, the decline was, was just about uh, exports, right? So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, like, that 12.4% decline was, I think that was just kind of like a byproduct of people, of, of the things you mentioned earlier, right? No yeah. one wants to do business with China because of all those reasons, demographic issues, whatever it is. Yeah. I, I'm a, but, the, and, but the But the 5% decline, Anticipated decline in imports, which was right. a twelve point four percent. Holy shit! Fucking shoot me out the back. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, no, this is just because like saying it. I'm I know just, well, that, that's a massive. Right? Well, that's that's a unbelievable. Yeah. Like yeah, so imports right here. Uh, you know, according to the CNBC article, imports were expected to have dropped by five percent during that time, according to the, the Reuters poll. But according to Beijing, twelve point four. Yes. While imports dropped by twelve point four percent in U.S. dollar terms, so yes, and to the U.S. and the EU, yeah. which by the way are the two largest trade blocks in the world by a long shot. I'm actually um, angry that EU is bigger than the U.S., but I mean they shouldn't be. I know, but also but, they've earned it. Yeah, but it's a conglomeration of now eighteen countries, formerly nineteen. Countries, well, I know it's almost know? like having a conglomeration of fifty states. Well, ah, uh, okay, fine. Yeah, you get that. <laughs> Yeah, but anyways, back to the, uh, like, you know, mm -hmm. where the exports kind of plunge, like exports to the U.S. plunged by 23.1%, while exports to the EU plunged by 20.6%. So the two largest trade blocks 
you know, have you the, know, two, a, the two biggest buyers on the block. Yeah. And right. Yeah, two biggest you, buyers. Year on year in July. So last last July, they, they you know, they had 23.1 percent more. Actually, wouldn't even add up that way. It'd be a different amount. You know, if we wanted to do the reversed amount backwards, I don't know how to how, like how to calculate that number off the top of my head. But yeah, like last year, last July, you know, till this July, there's a 23.1 percent uh, decline in Chinese exports to the U.S. And then, of course, you know, how many times can I say? I, I don't need to. I'm laboring the point. I know, but like, yeah, belaboring yeah. the point. You're just fucking selling it at home. Yeah. You know, we're an easy fucking story. All right, John, you don't need to labor the point. Yeah, uh, mate, you fucking nailed it. And you should sell it some more. What have the Romans ever done for us? You know, aside from the sanitation, the, the roads, the aqueduct, well, oh, obviously the, wine. the aqueduct. Yeah, well, the wine. Obviously, what the, the Romans wine. Oh, yeah, done the... for us. Oh, you know what, Aaron? <laughs> I love that we're making a Life of Brian joke. I love that. <laughs> That's such. It was always obvious, but it was it never. It has never been. Where? How? How could you accuse us of being the people's front of Judea? We're the Judeans' people's front. People's front. <laughs> we're the Judeans' people's front. Deus Romani. People who called the Romans, they go to the house. They go to the house. No. Damus. Yes, actually. All right, we did a hundred times. Which is uh, the accusative. It's the accusative. Exactly. Nice. It was that much easier. It's so much easier to love Aaron dude, when I know that we're both playing this game. Dude, dude feelings <laughs> mutual, man. I love that we could quote Life of Brian back and forth because that movie well, is... Well, yeah, so... no, I didn't, I didn't know it was an option. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, back to the, uh, yeah. the Chinese data. <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's not promising, you know, and it goes to show why PMI... Well, it's not good. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's Beijing data. Exactly. It's, it's, a, for, it's about as good as, like, yeah, it's a, mud. I know. So, like, do we, like, do, do American companies have this thing in place where they can transition away from China or whatever they need China for? Like, is there something put in place? Do they have a plan? Because if not, like, there could well, be God, a reckoning. I, I, I hope to God they do, too. I so, hope so. Yeah. So, we'll see. But uh, If a company doesn't, then it um, isn't long for this stock market. No. It, it's Slash world. Not. Well, yeah. And, you know, we'll see um, what 2024 has in store for us. You know, I certainly think whenever the Fed pivots, there is some sort of bullish sentiment coming from that. But who knows? Here's my thing. I, 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 the Fed is actually kind of calm right now. Yeah, like, well, uh, it's, it's just the calm, it's a it's a calm before the storm, man. We got we got the uh, symposium coming up oh, I here know. at the end of the month. So <laughs> it, it's, it, not... it's it's essentially it's it's the commentary as we're walking out to the to the deck and then the plunge. And it's like, yeah. well, and who knows? Maybe the plunge isn't as bad as we are uh, are, are expecting. But in that case, you know, sometimes well, I used to be a swimmer. So my response is, <laughs> yes. the plunge is the plunge is never as as bad as you think it is, unless people are betting on the plunge. <laughs> and I'll be honest. People are betting on the plunge. People are certainly betting on the plunge. Or at least absolutely. on or at least on the judges who are betting on the plunge. Well, I mean, with the VIX being sub sixteen at the moment, right, which it I did know. have a run for a while. Uh it's making me less than um I don't know. I feel a little bit less morbid about it now, being sub sixteen VIX. Absolutely incorrect. But I don't know. Maybe <laughs> You're not morbid enough. I know. I and I feel like I need to be more morbid. It's just I, I don't I don't yes. know. Maybe okay. Maybe what's going on with the VIX is that people just aren't buying options thirty days out. What they're doing is they're buying options like seven months out. Maybe I, I don't know. I haven't looked. So I've looked at volume option volumes on the SPX. 
from that time period. So I have no idea. I don't know that either, but you know what I know? Um, <laughs> I know, despite what I had to drink tonight, is that if I was going to go and I was going to go drive some golf balls, putt some golf balls, I'd My probably want to be an econoholic or a drinkonomist while I'm doing it. I, they need to know. And they need to know. If I need everyone else to know what I'm up to, drunkonomics.myspreadshop.com. My man, get yourself a nice drunkonomics polo. You know what to do if you're out on the golf course making birdies. By the way, not bragging, just saying. I shot a 70 on Sunday, one of my better rounds that I've had since, uh, I don't know, it's, it's one of my best rounds I've had in a while. I think we all need to encourage Aaron to shoot more games because Aaron oh. is a fantastic golfer and should be better than that. Thank you. I shot a 70 on Sunday and I was pretty thrilled with that. It was a very tough course and I had 25 putts, so I was freaking putting lights out. And I should have wore my Drunkenomics polo and I didn't. And I feel bad, but guess what? I will atone for that by joining you all at drunkenomics.myspreadshop.com. And from there, if you also want to help us keep the lights on, liquor cabinet stock, the fruit fresh, ice frozen, whatever else there is to do, Mm -hmm. hit us up. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash D-R-U-N-K-E-O-N-O-M-I-C-S. We're all bartenders by trade. If you want to leave a tip in the tip jar, uh, anything. And it gets worse. (laughs) And it certainly gets worse. So that would be very much appreciated in the meantime. But with that said, thank you so much for drinking along with us. Absolutely. Um, Homework assignment, watch Life of Brian. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Watch Life of Brian. Just kidding. I don't know. Whatever. No, this is a a homework assignment now. Yeah, okay, fine. Don't be afraid to watch it. it. Let's do it. If if you've already watched it, tell us us where we went wrong on on Brianomics. (laughs) It's, um, you oh, know what? We'll sedative. defend ourselves. Oh, sedative. He's he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty he's boy. A... <laughs> <laughs> it's the Gord. The Gord has led us to How him. shall we fuck <laughs> off, oh lord? <laughs> exactly. That line from, from John Cleese is one John... of my, perhaps not my favorite. Well, if this is, is how this is how we should fuck off, oh lord, is by continuing to play chestnut checkers. Excellent. Don't brag, just say. Remember to Excellent. fill and kill, but most importantly, do what's that one thing? Oh, uh, it's when you stay drunkenomical. That's what it is. Because Brian would. Yes, he would. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs>